Welcome to the Modern Medicine Movement Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said to yourself, I thought I'd be healthier, in better shape, feel better both physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and be further along in my life? If so, come on this journey with my dad as he explores all things health and wellness from a holistic, medical perspective, even as a classically trained physician. He'll share integrative strategies to optimize health and inspire you to join the modern medicine movement. Welcome, 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 everyone, to the modern medicine movement. And a big aloha, Dr. Thomas Hemingway here. Super pumped, super excited, super grateful to be here with you. Just wanted to first give a big shout out to you guys, my listeners, for taking the time. Oh my gosh, literally we are thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads into this in just a couple of short months, and this is super exciting, super humbling, so thank you, and really, uh, I do this for you guys, so I'm just so grateful, so grateful. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a big giant shout out today to all those fathers out there. Happy belated Father's Day to you yesterday. Oh my gosh, you guys are awesome. And geez, what a wonderful thing we have. Fathers, we just celebrated mothers last month. You guys are amazing, all that you do. And uh, actually, you know, the reason I'm getting this out a little bit late um, on a Monday, typically it's up and ready for you guys. First thing Monday morning is uh, this weekend has been super busy for us around here. We're back in Hawaii, Nay. Um, the, you know, my wife and the kids have been back for over two weeks now, so they can all be out and about and going to the beach and doing stuff. And we just had uh, a big weekend. My son, my eldest, um, just turned 14. It's amazing. He had his birthday this weekend. We had Father's Day this weekend. And uh, we enjoyed a lot of family time. So I didn't get this uh, posted up uh, in the usual fashion. So thank you for being patient with this week's podcast. We had an amazing Sunday yesterday. Got to enjoy the whole day with the family doing Father's Day and birthday stuff. And we were <laughs> busy into the night. If you didn't see <laughs> a post I did of what we were up to, we were riding the night out uh, with lights on our skate ramp last night. It was incredible. Just had a great Sunday, great family day, and it was awesome. So getting this out to you a little bit later on a Monday, but thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time for yourselves, your health, because really, guys, this is for you. I just want all of us to be able to achieve optimum health. Your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit, your emotions, truly everything health. I'm so humbled to be here with you. I'm on this journey with you. Please keep the feedback coming. Keep listening. If you haven't already done so, please, 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 which uh, I know, guys, you're out there. We've had thousands and thousands of downloads, but not thousands and thousands of reviews yet. So please, 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 I implore you, um, give me a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the word out. I promise you, you can do it in 60 seconds or less. 
um, small thing, but it will have great positive effects. Um, you can scroll down to the end of the show. You know, first go to show modern medicine movement at the bottom. There's a five stars. Click to the one farthest to the right. That's the five star. And then right below that, there's a little link on the left that says write a review. It's just above where it has the you may also like these other podcasts, you know, in the health and wellness area. So it's right down there. Um, click on that little link that says write a review. Type up something. Would really love to hear your positive feedback. It just keeps the show going. It just keeps me excited. It keeps me motivated to share and to do and to keep researching because honestly, I do this because I love to love to improve our health. And I just want to get the word out because a lot of this stuff is not as well known as you might think. Certainly not in the traditional Western medicine arena that I was trained in. And uh, it's actually a little bit embarrassing that, that a lot of doctors don't know a lot of this stuff. And uh, you can be your best advocate. And so learn it, share it, um, and, you know, go ahead and take some action steps. I try to keep it simple. Also, if you haven't heard about my new private Facebook group, it's free. I pretty much accept all requests universally. It's the Modern Medicine Movement Health and Wellness Facebook group. Um, I share my not only the podcast stuff, but other posts, some lives that I do, other posts on health topics. You can ask me questions, give me feedback as to what you want to hear about on future podcasts. You can also reach me at Aloha surf doc on instagram or at modern medicine movement on instagram as well as modern medicine movement.com or email i'm actually kind of old school i respond to emails real readily uh, modern medicine movement podcast at gmail.com so super super pumped guys this week is a pretty amazing topic and also kind of constant controversial. <laughs> but I'm so pumped to share with you guys each and every week how we can be healthier, live better through increased knowledge and of course then action because you know as Tony Robbins says we really need to execute, take action, right? That's where the the big game changer is, right? Because if we learn and know, um, it doesn't necessarily, you know, by osmosis make us live a better, healthier life unless we take some simple action steps. You know, when I was a kid, I used to watch that television show G.I. Joe. I don't know if you guys uh, remember that, but we typically would see it at my friend's house when we were doing piano lessons. One kid would have to wait, you know, his turn. We had several of us in piano lessons. So the other kid would get to watch whatever was on TV. Since at my house, we didn't really watch TV. It was kind of a little bit of a treat. And in G.I. Joe, I believe it was G.I. Joe. If it's not, call me out on it. But I think at the end of that show, it always would have a little kind of like practical pearl about, you know, doing good or whatever. And it would say knowing is half the battle. Well, I would actually say that knowing is, is probably less than half the battle. It's the execution or the doing that really I think is more than, than half, more than 50%, because that's where the proverbial rubber meets the road, right, guys, is we got to do something about it, do something. Maybe like 90% of it is the doing. <laughs> so let's do, let's know and then do and do this together. And I try to keep it simple. I don't provide super long lists of things to do. I don't have an app that you got to follow and, and enter every single thing you put into your body. There's a lot of other health guys out there that have created apps, and you literally got to keep track of everything you put into your body, calorie count, all this kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just think for most of us, 
you know, the simpler the method, the most likely we will follow it and we will execute on it and we will do it and we will effectively change our lives. And, and I'm actually, although I'm nerdy and I love to read and I get all this info at, at heart, I'm a pretty simple guy, you know. I, I don't like long lists of things, you know, unless they're right, that honeydew list, right, honey? I, I, <laughs> I, I can work on those lists, but I hate making long lists of things to do myself, um, you know, as far as keeping track of every little thing I put into my body. I don't even do that myself, and I'm super health conscious and super, you know, this is front and center of my life, and I don't take any notes. I don't use an app. I keep things simple because I think that's the most likely to be followed and executed upon is if we keep things simple. So anyway, today our topic, without further ado, one that's spiked lots of interest over the years and actually controversy. So it's kind of a a fun topic. I'll try to not be super controversial here. I'll try to share, you know, the information. You guys can make your choices. But it's been something that at least since the 70s, I remember kind of hearing about this growing up. And I'm a kid of the 70s and 80s. And this stuff was was stuff that I lived through. I remember um, as this stuff kind of rolled out. And historically, this topic, which is that of artificial sweeteners, which is sort of the colloquial uh, term out there that we've all heard of. Um, probably I should really use the term non-nutritive sweetener. Um, that way we can include the artificial ones, also the natural ones, which I will also talk about today. Some of those that are sort of uh, more the, the new kids on the block, so to speak. Um, but anyway, this whole thing with these artificial sweeteners or the non-nutritive sweeteners has been around for over 100 years. Can you imagine that? Really got a lot of popularity in the 70s, you know, when, when saccharin first became popular. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's been a topic of, of I think, interest to, to many of us and also <laughs> quite, quite controversial, really. So it's super fun. We'll dig into a lot of the stuff, some of the history. I uh, won't have time to get all into all of the history on every one of these um, sweeteners because each one is pretty plumb full of <laughs> interesting history. It's just fascinating stuff. I, I'm kind of a history buff too. I love, love, love sort of the background, the historical notes. And so I will share some little tidbits here and there, but uh, at the end of the day, um, you guys can keep reading, keep learning. There's so much out there. Um, but uh, suffice it to say, this is something that I think we should all pay attention to. And for over the last 50 years, since the 70s, really, um, this has become super, you know, front and center. I think most of us are familiar with a lot of the um, sort of key artificial sweeteners that have been in front of us and included in so many things that we eat, whether we know it or not, both eat as well as other items that maybe we didn't know, right? Like uh, in our toothpaste, you know, in our kids' vitamins. I mean, holy crap, they're ubiquitous. They're nearly everywhere in foods, cereals, drinks, chewing gum, puddings, jam, jellies, canned stuff, toothpaste, mouthwash, like I said, even children's medicines and vitamins. Like, holy moly, this stuff is literally out there. And whether we recognize it or not, we should probably pay attention. Yes, in children's, I did say that, children's vitamins and medications. It's just crazy, you know. And a quick aside, I just... I got six kids, and my kids are so important to me. I wouldn't really mention this otherwise, and I wasn't planning to, but, but recently I've been reminded of the importance of 
really giving good quality, not only food, but vitamins to our kids. Because the ones that I kind of grew up with, those chewable Flintstones and gummy vites from Costco and other places, they don't necessarily have all the high quality stuff in them. And, and interestingly enough, if it's not an artificial sweetener, it's probably plum full of that good old fashioned corn syrup and just regular sugar. In fact, the top three um, largest selling, you know, gummy vites, uh, gummy vitamins out there, the one and two ingredients for all three of these, even the Gerber one, crazy enough, was basically sugar and syrup, the top two ingredients, syrup and sugar. And that, like, let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> like, we're probably not doing our kids a favor to be giving them sugar in the form of a vitamin. Anyway, I, I hate to get on my high horse there. I'm not trying to. I was certainly one that used to buy gummy vitamins for my kids as well. But there are better options. I just want you to know there are better options out there. If you want to know more about what I give my kids that does not have sugars or corn syrup or vegetable oil or artificial ingredients, there are amazing children's vitamins out there, including the ones that I give my own kids. And they've been on them for, gosh, maybe about four years or so. And, oh, it's been an amazing difference. And not only because they're natural, they're gluten-free, they're vegetarian, they're non-GMO, all that stuff, but they don't have added sugar. They don't have, you know, artificial sweeteners or artificial colors or whatever. They also have bioavailable uh, methylate, methylated uh, ingredients, you know, so we can actually give our kids something that will be absorbed and useful because like many of you know about the MTHFR gene out there is super common, probably in half of people they can't... Uh, really benefit from non-methylated folate, for example. And this has, this particular vitamin I give my kids, has methylated um, folate. So fully methylated, bioavailable forms. It also has probiotics. Like, holy moly, it's not just a vitamin, but it has probiotics too. So anyway, um, don't want to get too into that, but it's what I trust for my own kids. If you want to learn more about it, you can message me or email me at Modern Medicine Movement Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to know about what I give my kids or what I take myself as far as vitamins, feel free to message me um, at Modern Medicine Movement Podcast at Gmail or Insta, Facebook, whatever. So anyway, just getting into the traditional sort of artificial or synthetic sweeteners that we have heard about, I'm sure, just because they may be, you know, zero calorie, quote unquote, this does not mean they have zero effects or zero side effects or zero, you know, health or physiologic effects on our bodies. You know, there's been so many implications out there, um, lots of information on this. And like I said, it's controversial because depending on where you get your data, right, likely if you're searching it up and it's by the manufacturer, they're going to be giving you their data that has spin, right? They you know, up until just recently in the last uh, 10 or 15 years, both the drug companies as well as the big uh, food uh, companies that, that have lots of ties with the FDA and things, they didn't have to or were not, I should say, were, were not required to report their negative studies or those that might um, show some issues with their either um, food items or medications or whatever, they could actually do all these studies. And if it didn't show benefit or if it showed harm, they didn't have to report it. Like it's crazy that they didn't have to, because there was no, um, 
you know, ramifications for, for not doing this. And so most of these companies didn't report their negative studies or a lot of them that had adverse effects. They just didn't report these until recently they've been required to. So, so you really got to consider the source of the information you're getting. If it's a, you know, a pharmaceutical, you know, look to see if it's sponsored by the manufacturer um, or if it's done by a private uh, sector or if it's, you know, a food additive or whatever, see if it's the company that actually produced that that's doing all the studies. Because I can tell you, you know, it's a kind of a no-brainer. It's not rocket science to think about how they might have some ulterior uh, motives here. So just because these sweeteners may be zero calorie doesn't mean they have zero effects, okay? So, so what's interesting about this whole business of the artificial sweeteners is that even though they've been around for over 100 years, there's actually not as much high-quality data on these as you would think. It's actually been pretty surprising to me, and I've done literally weeks of research on this. And, you know, those that have been around a long, long time, like saccharin, for example, which was originally discovered 100 years ago, um, there's probably more data on that and aspartame because they've been around a little longer, but not as much as you would think, especially for something we're putting in our own bodies, right? I mean, anyway... (laughs) (laughs) I just can't help but just implore you to, when you look at these things, look at where the data is coming from because it's often from the, you know, people who are making them, which they have really an agenda to push. So just be a little cautious. And and saccharin, for example, oh, my gosh, it's so fascinating. It was first uh, found way back when in 1879. This is, if you want to hear a dramatic story, like holy moly saccharin, um, which is sweet and low. I remember, you know, growing up, it was always on the packets uh, in the restaurants, you know, as an alternative for sugar. Um, those little pink packets, it's been around for a long time, right, since the 70s, um, at least readily available. But it was first discovered in 1879 by Constantine Falberg, who was a chemist working at John Hopkins in Ira Remsen's laboratory on coal tar. Coal tar. This is how they found this stuff. Coltar he was working on. And one, one night when he came home, I guess he didn't wash his hands real well or they weren't wearing good high-quality gloves back in 1879, and he happened to taste his hands, and there was this sweet taste uh, remnant. And this compound, benzoic sulfamide, which he'd been working with, a coltar derivative once again, he discovered was actually really stinking sweet. He's like, whoa, hey, that's kind of interesting. So what did he do? Well, he started working on seeing how he could make this stuff and then applied for patents in several countries. He started producing it. He soon got, guess what? Super rich, <laughs> super wealthy. The guy that, that had the lab that he made it in, Remsen, he was pissed because he didn't give him any of the credit for it. And so this guy, Fallberg went out and just started producing it, making tons of money. And Remsen, the guy whose lab he did it in, later called him, quote, Fallberg is a scoundrel. It nauseates me to hear my name mentioned in the same breath with him. Like, isn't that interesting? <laughs> so it was, it was available 100 years ago, but it didn't get super popular until sugar um, had some shortages and issues during World War I because there was not really a need for it, right? People, I guess the sugar that was readily available, um, you know, didn't really necessitate a need for an alternative. And then during the war, um, sugar became harder to come by, and it, it 
gained popularity initially during World War One. And uh, as I said, most of you guys are familiar with this and those little pink packets, uh, the sweet and low, if you will. Um, and while, while I'm on the saccharin topic, and I'll just kind of digress a little, one of the most interesting studies I've seen with these non-nutritive sweeteners, artificial sweeteners, was actually done with saccharin. This was 2007, where it showed that when given a choice in laboratory mice, they basically had a choice between sugar, saccharin, or, that's right, I'm actually going to say it, cocaine. Not just any cocaine, but they actually, not just snorting, but they got it injected into their veins, IV cocaine, like holy stinking moly. (laughs) When given a choice... These laboratory mice preferred over the cocaine, believe it or not, saccharin and the sugar was actually their preference over cocaine, which is crazy. I'll put the reference to this. I did some fact checking. I had to read it myself because it was pretty wild to see that the preference was sweeteners, sweetness and sugar above cocaine. Like, holy crap, cocaine, as we all know, is super addictive. And, you know, one of the problems with sweeteners and sugar, for that matter, really is because it activates this dopamine or the, you know, reward pathway of the brain. And because of its just potent, you know, addictive nature, these rats preferred the sugary sweeteners, the saccharin, and also sugar. They preferred that over cocaine, even with escalated Doses, escalated doses, higher and higher and higher doses. So let me just read this to you. This is crazy. So here we report that when rats were allowed to choose mutually exclusively between water sweetened with saccharin, obviously an intense calorie-free sweetener, and intravenous cocaine, a highly addictive and harmful substance, the overwhelming majority of animals, 94%, 94% preferred... That's right, the saccharin, the saccharin, the saccharin. 94% of these laboratory mice over cocaine. And it says, finally, the preference for saccharin was not surmountable by increasing doses of cocaine and was observed despite either a cocaine intoxication, sensitization, or intake escalation, which is, of course, the hallmark of drug addiction. So, Holy moly, this is something that is not often talked about with artificial sweeteners or with sugar, for that matter, because sugar had a similar effect. They preferred it. They loved the sweet. They loved, loved, loved it even more than this highly potent drug. This phenomenon that you've heard about that we often call, you know, the sweet tooth or the sugar addict or the chocoholic or whatever it is, not not really that far off because these things are super, super addictive because they activate the reward pathway of the brain and they they can actually cause true, true addiction. So the more you eat, right, the more you want, the more you want, the more you desire, the more sugary stuff, the more you're going to want, the more you're going to want to eat. It's just a crazy, circuitous downward spiral. And so in and of themselves, despite the so-called, you know, empty or zero or no calories, they activate you know, the sweet receptors that are the taste receptors in our tongue and then later ultimately the dopamine reward pathway of the brain that really messes with us and really the addiction possibility. And then we start to want and crave more and more and more. So anyway, (laughs) I just couldn't help but mention that study. I'll put in the show notes, 2007, 
crazy, crazy, crazy. But let's back this up a little bit and talk about why these artificial uh, sweeteners work at all. Well, to begin with, they basically work as sweeteners because they've been designed to fit on the taste receptors in the tongue, right? The taste buds that sense the sweet. They fit on there just like sugar does. And even though they're not sugar and they are quite different, structurally they are similar enough to be able to activate those taste receptors. And most of them, in fact, pretty much all of these sweeteners are much, 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 much more potent than regular sugar, up to thousands of times more sweet. Like neotame is like 7,000 times more sweet or 600 times more sweet like Splenda, which is sucralose, for example. And so, like I talked about a little bit, one of these potential issues is that they are so sweet and given that they are quite, um, you know, addictive and, and that they are, you know, the quote-unquote empty calories, they may just incompletely activate this sort of food reward pathway in the brain. And why, why do I say incompletely activate? Well, the sweetness, you know, triggers that dopamine response, but the problem is they don't really have calories, right? They're not satiating. And all this kind of is part of a bigger pathway, right? We, we crave, crave, crave. We want to eat. We want to be satisfied. And what many have experienced is that although, you know, they have these cravings, the non-nutritive sweeteners, um, they tend to not satiate, right? Because there's no calories associated with them. And so oftentimes, um, the, the folks that, you know, consume a lot of these things, would actually want to, guess what, eat more calories because the artificial sweeteners didn't really have any and they just had the desire to fill that with something else. So that's one possibility, right, eating, eating more sweets to kind of cover the caloric part of things. There's also uh, another explanation that, you know, um, some of the studies have, have used is sort of this, uh, they call it the health halo effect, right, which is that when you are consuming something that's quote-unquote healthy, and let's just say for this purpose we'll call uh, a non-nutritive sweetener or an artificial sweetener healthy because you're getting the sweet but without the calories. And so one might make the choice, um, let's just use this, I know it's kind of a generic example, probably doesn't apply to that many of us, but but I think it has even applied to me once or twice over the years. It's basically, like if we were going to go through a drive through and we decided, hey, we'll get a you know, diet soda or whatever. I don't want to name names and put anybody, you know, uh, throw them under the bus or anything because I've had diet sodas in my life as well and I still very rarely might have a sip of one. But, but in any case, if we drink that diet soda, we might go, well, I'll go ahead and get the, you fill in the blank, the supersize whatever, the fries or the ice cream later or whatever. This sort of health halo effect is that when we sort of tell ourselves we're, we're, eating or partaking of something that might be more quote-unquote healthy or a healthier option, then we can kind of cheat somewhere else, right? If I get that diet, whatever, then I can maybe get dessert later at the restaurant or, you know, I can get this later or I can just supersize my whatever, fries, what, whatever it is, you know. Um, we often will make choices that aren't awesome because we're kind of tricking ourselves. And that may be um, one of the issues as well, because there have been several studies showing that those that consume more uh, diet um, drinks, especially diet sodas, um, one of them was the San Antonio Heart Study. It basically found that 
these people tended to be more prone to um, obesity, diabetes, prediabetes, things like that, um, when they consumed, I think it was about 21 diet drinks in a week. So that's three a day, which, you know, some people think, gosh, that seems like a lot. Well, well honestly, there's people, and, and I know people in my own family that have consumed, uh, you know, I hate to admit it, but much more than three diet drinks in a day. And three is like, you know, 12 ounces or less times three, right? If you drink one of those giant you know, big gulps or whatever, you know, you, you, you put in, you fill in the blank, right? That could be as much as those three right there at one sitting. So anyway, this is no judgment, but I'm just sharing with you what's out there. San Antonio Heart Study, take a look. Um, in any case, you know, one of the issues, like I mentioned, could be that these super sweet, you know, items either in a diet drink or in some other, you know, say it's in a, you know, granola bar or whatever, they're so sweet, and with the empty calories, you may want to eat more food because of the health halo thing, because you just think, well, you know, this is no calories, so I'll just replace it with something less healthy somewhere else, or just because they're not satiating you, um, there may be some issues with that causing you to eat more. Um, there's also interesting uh, studies that have been done looking at uh, brain imaging, um, taking the sort of artificial sweetener um, example with with basically regular sugar and looking out ha looking at and a um, brain imaging test an MRI looking at how this affects the brain and they've shown that the artificial sweetener doesn't completely activate the pathway like I talked about earlier um, which is to say that despite triggering sort of that reward dopamine thing there's not the same amount of satiety um, in play when you use an artificial uh, sweetener as opposed to when you just consume, let's just say, sugar, something with sugar which has some calories, right? That, that sort of completes the cycle, whereas these other ones that are the zero-calorie ones may not. So it's, there's also other data. You know, most of it is by the companies that produce these artificial sweeteners that says there is no effect, you know, on these things like eating more calories and all that stuff. And I would say, look at all the data, you know, look at the source of the data, you know, always take things with a grain of salt and, and just the more, you know, um, you know, just take a look, take a closer look because, you know, the way I like to look at things is try to get as much information as you can, but you also need to consider the source. And at the end of the day, you know, what would you rather put in your body? Something that's natural that comes from, you know, a natural plant or a natural fruit, and we'll talk about these things later, or something highly processed and chemical that oftentimes was discovered in crazy situations, right? Like, like I mentioned with saccharin coming from coal tar, or I'll mention later with Splenda that comes from using chlorine gas, like holy moly, chlorine, that stuff that kills all the bacteria, you know, and whatnot in the swimming pool, it's going to wreak havoc on your gut, that chlorine, like, why would you want to put stuff like that in your body? So, so anyway, <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple. I can't talk about all of them because there's just too many, but saccharin we talked about a little bit. I'll touch a little bit more on that. ACE-K, which is asulfame. Aspartame, which you've all heard about because it's the key sweetener in many of our favorite beverages, the diet drinks. Nutra-sweet is aspartame. Neotame, which is sort of like Nutra-sweet on steroids. Sucralose, which is Splenda, 
Um, we'll talk about all of these as well as a couple of natural low-calorie sweeteners like stevia, monk fruit, uh, and the sugar alcohol. So saccharin, we talked about where it came from way back when in 1879 from Remsen's lab at John Hopkins. Super interesting history. And then even a, a part of it that I, I thought was pretty pretty interesting was later on, you know, in the earlier 1900s, um, the the guy in charge of the FDA, basically, um, Harvey Wiley, he was the director back then, 1907, he had stated that saccharin was, quote, an illegal substitution. Illegal. This is how the, the guy that was in charge of the FDA at that time said, saccharin is an illegal substitution of a valuable ingredient, which was sugar, by a less valuable ingredient, or the saccharin. So he was the director of the FDA. He made this statement. He actually had some back and forth with the then president of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt, who was pissed. He was, he was upset because he happened to like stuff with saccharin. <laughs> and ultimately, like, I just, you can't make this stuff up. Ultimately, the leader of the FDA, Harvey Wiley, basically this was career ending for him because you don't mess with the president. No matter who the president is, whether you like him or not, He's more powerful than most of us, right? <laughs> so you just can't make this stuff up. It's crazy. Anyway, um, many of you know that in the 70s, there was issues with saccharin, and they had to put on the labeling. I remember this stuff because it would be right there on your diet soda label that this has been known to cause cancer in laboratory animals. And and this debate, I think, is pretty much over. Like there, the data was kind of... You know, it, it's gone back and forth. Unfortunately, still most of the studies are sponsored by the companies who make, you know, the, um, the non-nutritive sweetener or the saccharin. And so they've gone back. They've re-looked at this. They said, well, maybe these mice had a propensity towards bladder cancer, and they tended to concentrate things in the bladder because it was excreted through the kidney. And so it's probably not cancer-causing. And in humans, they haven't shown it to be cancer-causing per se. So I think this debate is kind of old, and I'm not worried personally that any of us are going to get cancer from um, artificial sweeteners, even though there's been some studies that have linked this in laboratory animals. I think we can pretty much take that off the table, although I just think it's sad because, in honest-to-goodness truth, there's just not enough human data out there. And the ones that are out there, most of it has been done by the um, companies that, that sell this stuff. So it's definitely got to be taken with a grain of salt since probably the other ones that they had have not been published that maybe have shown either uh, harm or no benefit or whatever. So at the end of the day, I just think we, we got to look at all the data. I'm personally not worried about carcinogenic or cancer-causing issues with artificial sweeteners because I think that's been kind of shown to be mostly debunked, but it, it does keep coming up. I have to say, not just with saccharin, but with other artificial sweeteners, there are other issues they've, that have come up over the years, you know, with not only this bladder cancer, but brain cancer, this thing called glioblastoma multiforme, which, honest to goodness truth, the data isn't great. I'm personally not worried about it, but, but you just have to think, what would you prefer to put in your body? Something that was from the lab? you know, when they were researching coal tar or using chlorine, you know, to make a substance that was super sweet that didn't have calories. I mean, you, you make, your, make up your mind, um, you know, and this sort of leads to some of the newer uh, sweeteners that are out there, artificial ones. NutraSweet, which I think most of us are familiar with, also called Equal or Sugar Twin. This is uh, aspartame, and this was once again discovered in a lab in 1965 this time, so 
This was much, much newer to the scene than saccharin. It was approved in 1981, um, and it's found today in thousands and thousands of food, over 6,000 at least, as well as chewing gum, toothpaste. It's about 200 times sweeter than sucrose. It's considered safe overall, except for those that have this genetic defect called PKU or phenylketonuria because they have problems with phenylalanine buildup, which is uh, basically what this uh, aspartame has in it. And so they definitely should be avoiding it. But also it's later metabolized in your body into methanol, which is an issue potentially, although the quantities are kind of small. Um, but once again, you know, just think about the overall effect. It's, this, this is super interesting. I found specifically with aspartame or NutraSweet, there's actually been a lot of data out there. Um, and it's, of course, mixed because, you know, half of it or so, or maybe probably more than half of it was done by the companies that produce it, okay, those that are receiving funding. And um, also there are some independent studies that were done. And what's interesting is 100% of this research performed by the companies who either made it or got uh, support from the aspartame manufacturers, they confirmed its safety. 100% of them, those that were sponsored, you know, by the aspartame producers, whereas those that were done by independent, you know, uh, companies or independent organizations that didn't have anything to gain, they weren't getting paid off, so to speak, by the aspartame company um, that produced it. 92% of those found problems <laughs> with consuming the aspartame. Interesting, right? 100% of those that were sponsored by the company, you know, kind of like the big pharma when you, when you do drug company-sponsored trials, you got to be a little cautious of that, how they do their studies, how they report it. You know, I talked a little bit about this in my cholesterol uh, podcast recently, you know, how they twist and spin the data, so to speak. So 100% of those that were sponsored by Aspartame's manufacturers said it was safe, whereas 92% of those that were not sponsored said it had issues and may not be totally safe. So let's just pause. Hmm. Think about this. So anyway, um, draw your own conclusions. Um, lots of issues potentially. Um, once again, I don't think it's you know, causing cancer or going to kill us, so to speak. But, but if it's going to harm you in any way or just give you side effects like maybe headaches or whatever, um, not just something that we should be concerned about if we have PKU, which is kind of rare, but, you know, phenylalanine, as mentioned, is broken down into methanol and then later formaldehyde and those substances. Why would we want those at all in our bodies? And, yes, they can get into our bodies in other ways. And probably the amount that gets produced by, you know, the aspartame is probably at such a low level it won't make a big noticeable difference. But if you have the choice, why would you want to put something into your body that's going to be broken down into these toxic substances if you have the choice, right? I mean, if somebody ties your hands behind your back and makes you consume only stuff with this in it, well, that's different. But if you have the choice, like most of us do, let's just make the best choice out there, okay? I personally choose natural over the artificial. And, and another one I just have to talk about because it was initially manufactured um, sort of under the guise that it was made from sugar and, and natural. There, there is nothing about sucralose or Splenda that is natural. In fact, the name itself is problematic because Os is basically kind of almost alluding to the fact that it's a natural sugar substance, which... If you looked at the formula, and I have, 
There is nothing freaking natural about this. All the chlorine. I mean, it's crazy that they would market it as something natural. But I remember when, it, when Splenda first came out, you know, it was becoming popular. In fact, I think um, that some of the diet soda companies, I think it was Pepsi, if I remember correctly, that changed using um, the aspartame or NutraSweet to Splenda. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't drink Pepsi, um, so I haven't checked the label recently, but, but shout it out to me if this is still the case. I think for a time, I don't know if this is still current, but they changed their sweetener to sucralose because it just sort of sounds better. But despite its name, it's nothing like sugar. It's nothing like normal sugar, okay? In fact, there's been advocacy groups that have tried to get the FDA to change its name, and they just said, you know what, we're not going to make them change it. And, and <laughs> but the way that this was discovered, I got to tell you this, because this is you can't make this stuff up. It was discovered once again accidentally while the chemists were actually trying to create a new insecticide. An insecticide! And once again, they notice, hey, my hands, you know, were I, somehow they hands in the mouth or something. You notice the sweetness. And they're like, whoa, this is super sweet. Maybe we're onto something here. So they found this out in the process of manufacturing an insecticide, sucralose, Splenda, that stuff that some people would have us believe is natural. This is not natural. Lots of dangerous chemicals are used to produce this, including chlorine. Toluene. I mean, there's 20 of them here. I'm not going to read them all off, but, but if you read the fine print, even on Splenda's own website, it says, although sucralose or Splenda has a structure like sugar and a sugar-like taste, it is not natural. So I think they found the need to, because people were confused and they felt maybe a little bit bad that, yeah, we're misleading people. It's not really natural. And so they put it on their website. It is not natural. That is true. It is not natural. <laughs> anyway, when you look at the benefit, potential benefit of these non-nutritive substances that are artificial, I, I just can't find it. It's so hard to find benefit. There, you know, I mean, just, just look at this stuff. It, they, there's lots of evidence out there. Pay attention to where it comes from. Once again, if it's supported by the manufacturers or not, um, Human and mice studies have been done on this particular sweetener, Splenda, or the sucralose, and it has been shown that it does affect glucose metabolism. And this is problematic, and this is, this is what kind of gets me, is even if, uh, you know, the company's manufacturer says that it's safe and not bad for you, and that's sort of the, the out there is the common lore, this is not a biologically inert compound, okay? And it actually has been shown to impair insulin sensitivity. And this is where I have my big beef because although it's, you know, not a significant source of calories, when you mess with your insulin sensitivity, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, this is a big factor in a lot of downstream consequences, right? When you get problems with your insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance, you know, it leads you down the path towards the quote-unquote metabolic syndrome, diabetes, prediabetes, all these things, which also it's inflammatory. We're not, you know, benefiting from ingesting pro-inflammatory things. Also, they tend to wreck the gut. You know, I, I consider these artificial sweeteners that are uh, synthetic and artificial and chemically produced to be largely, and in most studies, you, you see this across the board, they mess with your gut. They are gut wreckers. <laughs> and, you know, if you want to know more about the gut and the microbiome, listen to my previous podcast. You don't want to mess with that. So 
What's interesting is there have been some outside agencies that have taken significant interest in sucralose or Splenda, and the recent ones that I've seen, the Center for Science um, in the Public Interest has recently downgraded its safety, and that is, of course, of the sucralose that I've been talking about, or Splenda, and they've changed it from have caution with this substance, but they've actually changed it to avoid. They recommend we avoid Splenda, avoid sucralose. You can go to the website Central for Center, sorry, Center for Science in the Public Interest. They they talk about safety um, of sucralose and lots of other substances, and this is found in lots and lots and lots of diet sodas. Like I said, Pepsi, um, Mountain Dew, um, lots of others. Um, salad dressings, yogurt, cereal. Sucralose is super, super, super popular. Probably more popular in the U.S. than almost any other sweetener. It's super popular. Sucralose or Splenda, as well as the aspartame, super popular. The recommendation of this um, advocacy um, group says, quote, unquote, we recommend that consumers avoid sucralose or Splenda. And we recommend also to avoid saccharin, aspartame, ACE-K or A-Sulfame, um, and that's, that's based upon all their research and data. And so, you know, these guys have taken a lot of time to study these things, and that's their recommendation. Um, so, you know, take a look. Uh, make your own choice. I'll briefly mention a couple of the other sweeteners, A-Sulfame, potassium, or ACE-K. This is also known as Sunnet or Sweet One. It's another sort of calorie-free artificial sweetener, quite similar to aspartame, um, but uh, has a bit of an aftertaste. So Kraft patented the use of another substance to add to it to combat the aftertaste. So this is something I didn't really realize, but if you start looking at labels, you'll notice that often these sweeteners are paired together, sometimes two or three artificial sweeteners together, because a lot of them, especially saccharin, has kind of this metallic, that's sweet and low once again, metallic aftertaste. And when you pair them with other, other artificial sweeteners, they tend to cancel out each other's sort of bad aftertaste. And so they often pair them together. Um, <laughs> something I found super interesting is that this particular one, or Sunnet or Sweet one, which is the Ace Sulfame, it's also pretty ubiquitous, used a lot, and like I said, in combination with other sweeteners like sucralose or aspartame. Um, but it's so widely used in the human diet because it's found in so many processed foods that we know that it's excreted by the kidney. That's been shown. And so they actually use it, its presence, in swimming pools as a marker of the amount of contamination by urine. Like, that's a useful thing for this artificial sweeteners. They have, because so many people eat products that have it in there, they're using it as a marker of urine contamination in swimming pools. <laughs> what? That's weird. Anyway, uh, Neotame, that's another one that's out there. It's an analog to aspartame, but 8,000. That's right, I said it. 8,000 times sweeter than sugar. Like, holy moly. So much more cost-effective, right? They can use much less of it, super, super potent. But once again, like the aspartame, it has methanol as a byproduct of its metabolism. So why do we want methanol in our bodies? We don't. Well, if we had the choice, I think we would choose to not have it in there. So although the human body and the brain, you know, the way they respond to these things is super complex, um, we just have to pay attention to the bigger picture, right? Because like I mentioned earlier, we can't use this sort of health halo thing like, oh, if I'm drinking diet soda, then it's okay to have whatever. 
you know, some kind of sweet dessert or supersizer fries or whatever. And we need to just pay attention to this fact that I mentioned at the outset that these non-nutritive sweeteners, because of their potency, they are so, 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 so addictive. And we can also be changing our taste, you know, kind of in the same form that um, in drugs, like I talked about the cocaine study, we feel like we have to increase the sweetness of the items in our diet because these things are so dang sweet that our taste changes our preferences. And so even though they have no calories, we may be preferring sweeter and sweeter things. And so the things that are good for us that don't have tons of, uh, you know, sugars in them, like say vegetables, for example, they can become unpalatable. So this is kind of a unintended consequences. I think of these things is that because we just, have this tendency to crave and want sweets, we may not be eating the things that are not sweet, you know, like the things that are actually good for us, like vegetables, fresh fruits, and things may not seem sweet enough for us because they're sort of changing our taste buds, so to speak. And so something I think we all need to pay attention to. And some some of you out there might just say, well, whatever, you know, I can just give up these diet drinks whenever I want to because I'll just do it. Well, let me tell you, you can and it is doable, and it actually doesn't take that long, but they are, as mentioned at the outset, they are super addictive. So you have to make a concerted effort, and really the best way to do this is just do a one- to two-week time frame is just avoid all sweets, anything with corn syrup, anything with an artificial sweetener. You do that for one to two weeks, and literally your taste buds will change, and then it will become easier. Certainly if you're adding other things to your diet that are helpful, like probiotics that increase the good bacteria that won't be craving the glucose in the same way that uh, the bad bacteria things um, that I've mentioned in my previous podcast in the microbiome, um, podcast that, that actually you have gut bacteria, not the ones that you want, but many of us have them that actually produce chemical messengers that basically tell us to eat sweet stuff. I mean, it's crazy, right? So anyway, I've talked about all these artificial ones. I'm wanting to talk a little bit about some of the natural ones because there all are alternatives. There are alternatives. One that's pretty popular, um, that's come onto the market in the last, you know, maybe 20 years or so is stevia. Uh, stevia, as many of you know, comes from a plant. Um, it's a low-calorie or, or really um, essentially zero-calorie sweetener. It's found in nature from the leaves of the plant called Stevia, Rebaudiana. And it's been grown for med- medicinal purposes for centuries and centuries in South America. Um, it has this sweet compound in its leaves, right? The Stevia leaf is used. Um, there's a substance called Steviaside, another one called Rebaudicide, Both are hundreds of times sweeter than sugar, gram for gram. But um, although it's sweet, virtually it has no calories. And and in addition to being natural from the leaf of a plant, there's also been some suggested potential health benefits. And this is stuff that has been shown in some trials. And and like I said, it's a newer newer, um, uh, low-calorie sweetener to the market, so it hasn't been studied as well as some of these others. But it's natural. It comes from the leaf. It's been shown to have some antioxidant uh, properties. It's also been shown to have some lowering of blood pressure in people who already have high blood pressure, hypertension. If you you don't have high blood pressure, you don't need to be worried that it's going to lower your blood pressure um, and be dangerous if you don't have high blood pressure. That has not been shown. It's also been shown to 
to lower blood sugar levels in people with diabetes. So it's actually got, instead of making your body resistant to insulin, it's actually shown to improve insulin sensitivity. Like what? That's what you want. <laughs> so this, um, not only is it natural, right? But it is potentially uh, beneficial for these health reasons as well. Um, I just like the fact that it's natural. Um, I'm into putting natural things into my body and not chemically derived things in a lab that came from a coal tar process or a chlorination process or, or from the um, excrement of E. coli bacteria. Um, so, so there's, and that's, anyway, um, why not put natural stuff, right? There's also, um, in addition to stevia, there's some other options out there. I'll mention, um, the sugar al alcohols like erythritol, for example, is a low calorie sweetener. Um, it's found naturally in fruits. Um, it's also available nowadays to buy in a powder form, but, but, but tends to be, um, not extracted from the fruit when you buy it that way. Usually if you get it in, in um, a food or a beverage, they try to um, use it from the kind that they get from fruit, um, which has a lot less calories uh, per gram. I think 0.24 calories per gram or about 6% of that that would be found in a similar amount of, uh, of sugar. And it, it still has about 70% of the sweetness. And these natural ones have not been shown to spike your blood sugar in the same way that some of these artificial ones do. Um, whether it be uh, delayed, uh, as some of them have shown of the artificial sweeteners to have a delayed spike in your blood glucose uh, and insulin levels. But these natural ones have not been shown to do that. So I think that's reason alone to consider them. Um, the sugar alcohols like erythritol tend to be excreted from the kidneys, largely unchanged. So they tend to be quite safe. Um, occasionally, depending on which ones that are used, there's several options, mannitol, sorbitol, they tend to be the ones that cause more GI distress, um, like bloating, maybe diarrhea. But now um, they have some newer ones that tend to less be side effect prone, um, like xylitol and erythritol. You guys have probably heard of those. Um, they're, they tend to have no significant GI distress, like some of the previous ones, mannitol and sorbitol. Um, also, the xylitol has an added benefit of uh, not causing cavities and may even have some protective effects, uh, which is interesting um, with respect to bone density and stronger teeth and so on. So not only do they not cause cavities like, of course, sugar and corn syrup and so on, but they tend to maybe be a little bit protective. But, 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 but xylitol, if you have dogs around, tends to um, not be awesome for dogs and could be even toxic. So, you know, probably not awesome if you got dogs in the house. Um, so I personally, I... I try to stick with things like stevia and monk fruit. There's a newer one called Yacon or Zacon syrup. It's a Y-A-C-O-N. It's unique in that it comes from the Yacon plant, which grows in the Andes of South America. Um, it's recently become kind of popular. They've looked at it with some studies of weight loss in, in women, and it's been shown to be somewhat beneficial. It also has uh, soluble fiber in it that feeds good bacteria of your intestines. So so this could be another option. It's not as readily available as some of the others, um, but it's kind of an interesting option because of that uh, prebiotic fiber in there as well. But some people get some GI effects from that. There's also, of course, raw honey as an option. Um, but then again, you know, despite it being natural, it definitely has a lot more sugar. Um, so use it with sparing uh, nature, right? Um, also, what's interesting about raw honey is if you get it locally produced, 
um, you may actually have a decrease in having allergy problems to your local area, right? Because it's made from uh, honeybees in your area that are exposed to the same pollens that you may be exposed to. So it'll actually give you some potential decreased allergen uh, issues in your own specific environment. So that's kind of cool. I personally think that real, raw, natural honey is a way better way to get um, sugar into our diet if we need it um, than other sources. But I, I actually like these other ones, that, uh, such as the monk fruit, which I'll talk about just one second, and the stevia leaf um, that tend to have you know, less of the, the calories and less of that uh, sugary issues spiking our insulin and things like that. So why don't we just talk about a monk fruit um, is probably the newest kid on the block and getting kind of a lot of popularity nowadays um, comes in the form generally of, from a monk fruit uh, extract, with, which of course comes from the fruit, right? Monk fruit. It's been around for a while, but um, kind of more new to the um, being widespread and popular. It's, it's natural. Uh, obviously, it doesn't contain any significant uh, calories and it has between 100 to 200 times the sweetness of sugar. It's also thought to have some antioxidant properties. It comes, of course, from, guess what? Yeah, monk fruit. This is also known as Luhongo or uh, the Buddha fruit. <laughs> it's a small round fruit. It's found in Southeast Asia. It's been used for centuries in traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, the FDA approved it more recently as a sweetener in about 2010. Um, and it's made from the fruit, which is cool, right? It, you remove the seeds, you crush it, collect the juice, and then they can make it into the sweetener. And, and often it has natural sugars um, that come in the fruit, like fructose and glucose, but not in any significant amount. Um, so it, it has these active ingredients called the mogrosides, um, which is the monk fruit sweetener. And that usually doesn't have the fructose or the glucose that comes naturally occurring in the fruit. And this may be, like I said, between 100 and 200 times sweeter than sugar. Um, and it doesn't tend to mess with the insulin release or the spikes in blood sugar as some of the other sweeteners, especially the artificial ones have been shown to do. So it's, it's a natural sweetener, uh, essentially zero calorie. Um, it does have some unique antioxidants called the mogrosides. Um, and in some studies, like I said, it's still kind of newer on the block, but because it has some antioxidant properties, it also has some anti-inflammatory properties. So it may have some benefits there. Um, and so it's still a little early um, to kind of, you know, be definitively saying that it has lots and lots and lots and lots of positive health benefits. But there have been studies that have shown it to suppress um, cancers like leukemia, for example, um, and shown to have the, um, like I said, the antioxidant, you know, um, effects also some sort of anti-diabetes properties because it doesn't raise the sugar levels or the insulin levels. Um, so I like it. I like the monk fruit option actually. Um, but, but take a look, you guys make your own decisions. I think that when given a choice, why not choose natural? Why not? I mean, at the end of the day, why would we want to put dangerous, potentially dangerous chemicals into our bodies if we have an alternative. And so I would say that you do have the choice. We all have the choice. So why not choose natural? And this goes for not just sweeteners, but for what we put into our body at all. Why not choose natural, real, whole food and sweeteners? Why not? You know, for centuries, that's what we did. 
right? Thousands of years, actually. This whole business of artificial sweeteners is a brand new sort of first world problem we've created for ourselves. And I can guarantee you in general, it's not making us any more healthy. So I find that going back to the basics, going back to natural things that for thousands and thousands of years, our bodies have been accustomed to and have been healthful are, are just better. They're beneficial. And remember that when you, when you take this with your total body, you know, health plan, you know, I think it's just important to look at what we're putting in. You don't have to keep a notebook. You don't have to keep uh, it all on an app of your phone, but, but think about what we're putting in and why not try natural. So anyway, I, I love to share this with you guys. There's actually, I got pages and pages more, but I, I try not to keep this more than an hour and we're at 59 minutes. So if you're still with me, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Super appreciate you guys being here with me. It's such a pleasure to be able to share these things with you. I'm just so pumped to be able to have the opportunity to share some good information out there. Please reach out to me. Send me an email at modernmedicinemovementpodcast at gmail.com. Look me up on Facebook, modernmedicinemovement.com. My Facebook group that's free that I welcome you to, Modern Medicine Movement Health and Wellness Group on Facebook. Send me a message at Aloha Surf Dog or on Instagram, or that is Instagram, Facebook, what have you, or shoot me the email, Modern Medicine Movement Podcast. Please, 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 please find me on Apple Podcasts, Modern Medicine Movement, and please add a review. Scroll to the bottom, click on add a review. Love, love, love to see your feedback. Also, you know, reach out to me if you have specific topics you want to know about, hear about, learn about. I'm all ears. I'm here on this journey with you. And I take this stuff seriously. I want us all to be healthier, to be more natural, to be doing things that are beneficial and that will positively impact our bodies for ourselves, for our families. So important, so important. So thank you guys. Reach out to me with any questions. Reach out to me if you want to know specifically what I take or what I give my kids as far as supplements, vitamins, whatever. I'm happy to share it. This is stuff that... that, uh, I think it's so important for our overall health to be able to choose natural, choose whole. So thank you. 